0: A Podcast One Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we've got quite a remarkable story for you, and Keith has been digging this one up. Uh, it's something that fascinates you and now me, thank you, because you've hooked me in. In 1961, the UN Secretary General died, um, and there are all these theories about how it happens. They're like conspiracy theories, aren't they, Keith, really? But they have legs, and that's the interesting thing about it. And you are part of a group that are calling for an investigation into this, and even though it was so many moons ago, um, you think it's still a really important
1: story to tell. Yeah, so this is the story of the um, death of Dag Hammarskjold. So Dag Hammarskjold was, in my view, the view of others, the best UN Secretary General that the United Nations ever had. Totally unexpected appointment. Uh, he was a Swedish aristocrat. I notice the Americans refer to him as an aristo-bureaucrat. So he came out of the top drawer of Swedish society and was basically a bureaucrat, someone who was safe and sound, and yet when he became UN Secretary General, he became transformed. And later on, after his death, we realised that it actually had a very rich inner life. And his book, based on his journal, Markings became an international bestseller. And to this day, you still get people who make quotations from that book. Um, So he realised that the UN could become a major force for peace, uh, but it would require standing up to the United States and the Soviet Union and the other dominant powers on the UN Security Council. Uh, So he was um, an inspiration to people, and he quite early on, realised that the European empires were at an end and so he said the United Nations should assist the empires to be wound up and these countries to become independent. This is even reflected in the UN building. When they put it up in the late 1940s, they expected a UN membership of about 60 countries. Now they've got a membership three times that size, so they have an accommodation crisis. But it was Dag Hammershaw who realised that the empire, the era of empires, was coming to an end, and so he worked with the developing countries. He also invented peacekeeping. Uh, you know, people oh, say, no. as the, in
0: the UN, as, as the United UN Nations, which go to every pretty much. Oh, uh, there they are in most countries yeah, in the world. In many
1: countries, mm. so you know, people tell me because I speak a lot on UN matters. They say, "Oh, the UN needs an army." And I said, "Well, read the UN Charter. It's all there." When Winston Churchill worked with others on creating the UN Charter in 1944 45, he wanted to get a continuation of the great power uh, partnership which he had achieved with Stalin and Roosevelt in World War II. There is provision for a UN army. The UN can call on countries like Australia to supply military forces for operations to maintain international peace and security. Never been used. Australia, I might say... Only in the early 1990s got into the business of actually training soldiers for peacekeeping. So, although I'm going to be critical of the Americans and the Russians, Australia doesn't have clean hands in this matter either. So he, uh, at the time of a, a Middle East crisis in 1956, needed to be able to create a force between Egypt and Israel and invented this idea of the peacekeeping force. Um, so, he, brilliant innovator. Remember, this. this was a dull colourless, aristocratic economist from Sweden <laughs> and suddenly becomes his superstar.
0: Not so dull after Not so all.
1: dull at all. In fact, I've got to say, since his era, the prevailing question for the, the big five of the UN Security Council, which make the crucial decision, in other words, United States, Russia, UK, France and China, always... Will this new person be another Dag Habersholt? If there's any hint of that happening, exclude them. The last thing they want is another active, visionary UN Secretary-General. So you end up then with a succession of bland UN Secretary-Generals, some more bland than others.
0: How do the more recent ones compare?
1: Oh, still pretty bland. Banky Moon? Banky, exactly. Banky Moon. (laughs) Kurt Voldheim. Yeah. The current one is Antonio Guterres. Brilliant on paper. But it's not going the to Secretary-General? I know.
0: What? He's, oh, my God. But
1: see, Dag Hammarskjöld stood out, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason that he was in uh, what is now called Zambia, northern Rhodesia, as it was in, in those days, he was there personally doing negotiations. So we'd, we'd seen the break-up of the Belgian... Congo, giant landmass, the size of India in the middle of Africa, giant, incredibly wealthy with raw materials. The uranium used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki came from Congo.
0: Mm, So
1: very wealthy, potentially, dirt poor because they couldn't get their act together. Um, A terrible history of colonisation by the Belgians. And the Belgians have said, all right, well, it's the end of eras, uh, ended the European era. We're out of here. Walked out on this country. There were three graduates for the whole of the country. It's an appalling thing. And, of course, you may remember for the media background that as the country fell into chaos, you had the outbreak of violence and there was this notorious um, uh, incident at the airport with American camera crews who'd been flown in to cover the chaos, going down the list of passengers waiting to board an aircraft, anybody here been raped and speaks English? That is one of the standard examples of people doing media training. Any female here been raped and speaks English? You've got to speak English, of course, because you've got to be interviewed for American television. So that that was the situation that we had then. So Congo, incredibly wealthy, falling apart. Um, the first leader, Patrice Lumumba. Uh, was removed from power, killed probably by people operating for CIA. So here you get the United States and Russia, Soviet Union, along with the British and others, all with an interest in that region and all competing. And so Katanga, which is the province of Congo, broke away. And uh, the UN Secretary General was in there negotiating to end that breakaway bizarre, you know, when you think nowadays that a UN Secretary General will send in some other negotiator. But here's the UN Secretary General himself on board a plane, flying around Africa, trying to set out sort out these this mess. Indeed, the UN Security Council used to have a slogan saying, We don't know what to do, we leave it to Dag. Leave it to Dag. And, by the way, what a name. What a name. Dag <laughs> Hammershield. Dag Hammer it's the classical origins of uh, that name.
0: So then, 1961,
1: he dies. And he dies. So he's he's in this plane flying into Ndola uh, to meet the leader of the breakaway. Where's Andola? in Africa? So that's in that's in yeah northern Rhodesia as it then was right, right? today's Zambia, uh, which was a British colony. So he's flying in to meet with the 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 leader of the breakaway person over the border right. So in Katanga, so they're, they're going to meet neutral territory former British colony northern Rhodesia. The plane, as it comes into land, crashes. Now, the official story, which the British, remember is a British colony, the official story was that it was pilot error. So the next, and everybody died on the plane, either immediately or or shortly thereafter. Um, Everybody died. And the next of kin of those Swedish pilots have lived with this um, horror of not only their relatives dying, but being responsible for the death of this international hero, Dag Hammarskjöld. So there is a campaign underway at the moment, uh, as you say, on one of the signatories for the campaign, which is saying we need to reopen this whole issue. Uh, so the incident took place in 1961. We need now perhaps to get access to intelligence files and to be able to review who may have been responsible. In other words, that it, it's probably not pilot error, which is what the British immediately said it would have been. Um, but in fact, the plane may well have been shot down uh, from, we think, mercenaries, because there are a lot of mercenaries operating on behalf of the British government, the American government, uh, the uh, mineral companies. There are a lot of people active in that region. But you Remember, it's a, it's a wealthy country if, if you're a mining company. Um, and so we have asked for there to be an international investigation. The UN Secretary-General has set it up. It's got a budget of about a third of a million dollars. It's going to be difficult to when you think of the cost of our inquiries in Australia that we've had <laughs> recently running millions, into millions yeah. of dollars. And the UN can only afford a third of a million. Um, so it's an interesting issue the deep state at work. Now, if you think about it, the United States at that time was led by John Kennedy. Most likely, John Kennedy was never told about the CIA involvement. It gives politicians what's called plausible deniability. In other words, a politician is able to say, I don't know anything about that. So you never tell your political masters that you're going to be carrying out these jobs. Now, of course, if it's a dictatorship, Someone like Putin or whatever wouldn't be that worried because he doesn't do media conferences. But in the case of the United States or Great Britain or France, these are leaders who like being in the media. It's one of the things that attracts them to politics. Um, It's show business for ugly people. So it gives them an opportunity to be in the public eye. But at the same time, they don't want to be embarrassed with questions saying, are you responsible for the death of such and such?
0: Or lie Blatantly and then have to get caught out, exactly. (laughs) This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about the, well, it was the death of the UN Secretary-General, the United Nations Secretary-General Dag You say the last name. Dag Hammarskjold. Who is your hero, by the way. Let's just get that out of the way right now. (laughs) And that was in 1961. It was so long ago, but there has been a recent call for an investigation, another investigation into his death because he died in a plane crash. But there is a group of people that believe that this was nowhere near just a simple plane crash. It was possibly shot down by the CIA or other mercenaries that were operating in Rhodesia at the time, which is um, Zambia now. Yeah. Did I get that right, Keith? That's right. All that right? Uh, That's all right. So what's the evidence though? Why has it come up now? And obviously it would have been investigated then, so why go back to it?
1: It was very hastily investigated and the pilots were blamed. So these were experienced Swedish pilots uh, on a a good quality DC-6 aircraft, um, but they got blamed for it. But if you when you actually go over the crash site, it's a level playing level playing field, so to speak. You know, it's not as though you're landing in mountainous territory. It's very hard to imagine how a pilot, these are experienced pilots, how they would make a mistake coming into land. The British investigation or the first investigation just simply said, Oh, well, clearly pilot's error. Um, obviously people wanted to move on to other issues. Um, but there have been some people who've always been suspicious about Dag Hammarskjöld's murder or death. And so those suspicions have never really gone away. And in recent years, we've had um, a publication of a very interesting book by a British academic who has looked into this and she thinks it might be due to a mercenary. We've had some, a mercenary himself has given an interview from some time ago saying. What kind of mercenary? Oh, this was a Belgian who coincidentally had been decorated in Britain in World War II. So he had close links with the British. So although he was seen as Belgian, he actually had very good connections with the British. Right. That again adds to the suspicion, right? So he may, in fact, in an interview that he did, which appeared in a, a British newspaper, he actually talks about, you know, the fact that, well, nobody told me who was in the plane. My job was simply to shoot it down. That's what, that's what we do. But so- <laughs> Wouldn't there be evidence if a plane was shot down? Well, part of the problem is the haste with which people looked at the plane wreck. Now, of course, generally speaking, if you have a plane crash in Australia, you have a very systematic investigation of it. Even the um, Malaysian airline plane that came down in eastern Ukraine, uh, that has now been reassembled and they've been able to find out how that was brought down. Um, But that forensic science then was much more primitive than it is today. So there's probably nothing at the crash site now that you could dig up, uh, but there may be records. In the back of my mind, I just don't think we'll be very successful with this investigation because if the intelligence agencies are involved, they would have put the key documents through the shredder. Of
0: course they would have. Exactly. The intelligence agencies.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) that. So they would destroy destroyed their own documents.
0: Okay, so let's go back now again to the motive. So why would the CIA, or the British for that matter, care about DAG?
1: Well, because the Congo and the breakaway region of Katanga were caught up in this area of the Cold War. So Patrice Lumumba, who was bumped off by people operating for CIA, right, no one's doubting that now. Um, so he was um, actually expressing sympathy for having support from the Soviet Union. So suddenly the Americans realised if they weren't careful, the Soviets were going to get, get a toehold in Africa. So, if you like, Dag Hammarskjöld was a victim of the deep state in a number of countries. Not political decisions, politicians were not necessarily involved, but the deep state, the intelligence agencies, the financial interests, they were the ones that would have worked together to bring the plane down. And, of course, part of the UN investigation is calling on governments to see if they've got any key documents from this period. In other words, go back over your old files. The British, South African and American governments are not releasing documents. Now, what I find fascinating is in the case of South Africa, right, this, in those days it was an apartheid government. Mm. Now we've got black rule, but the deep state still operates. They're not going to be releasing the documents.
0: So we've only heard about deep state in relation to America, you
1: know? Every country has a deep state, including here in Australia.
0: Really? Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: So what's the definition then of a deep state? So the
1: deep state are the people who run the country but don't stand for election. So uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but Australia, according to the BBC, is a democratic coup capital of the Western world, because of the speed to which we turn over Prime Ministers and get rid of them.
0: Mm.
1: On the other hand, the Economist magazine calls Australia the wonder down under. Australia has had 27 consecutive years of economic growth, um, it's the longest period of economic growth in the history of the Western world. So Australia has done phenomenally well. Mm. And the reason for that is a good deep state. Financial institutions, reserve, bank, public servants, so that politicians can come and go, they can knife each other in the back, so what? The deep state keeps this country afloat and has done brilliantly for 27 years.
0: That's fascinating, Keith. I never knew. I mean, I've heard it thrown around, that term, so much, but...
1: Well, yeah, that I think we need probably a, a separate talk on the deep state, sometimes called the invisible government. That was an old American phrase. President Trump is the one who's brought deep state back in as a standard expression. He loves it. Expression.
0: <laughs> he likes to throw <laughs> Which that Which helps around. to
1: explain for him why things go badly. Remember, he said America was going to pull out of Syria. And in recent weeks, we've had both his defence secretary And his national security advisor going around the Middle East, in effect, saying, ignore what the president said. We are not getting out of Syria. That's the deep state at work. Do you reckon they will get out of Syria, though? No. The deep state wants America to remain.
0: Yeah, it does seem like a big, silly thing to say, but surely now they need to have... But he
1: was honouring an election commitment. America has been a failure in Syria.
0: But isn't there going to be, like, news stories about the fact they're still in Syria?
1: I think the media will soon forget that. Yeah, right. And they will just say, that's the power of the deep state. And we see with Dag Hammarskjöld, an example of the deep state working together to get rid of this idealistic, energetic, visionary, UN Secretary General. And they replaced him with a Buddhist who never caused anybody any problems. Utan <laughs>
0: Another good <laughs> name, though. A,
1: yeah, another, a decent fellow. Where
0: was he from? Burma. Oh, a yeah. Burmese was the UN Secretary General, General at one point. after
1: Dag Hammarskjöld, yeah.
0: But obviously not your favourite.
1: No, none of them are, except for Dag Hammarskjöld.
0: <laughs> Still. So do you think this will happen? Will they find, will they, will they launch this Well, the
1: investigation is going to continue. I've noticed that um, at the film festival, the Sundance Film Festival, there is a movie called Cold Case Hammarskjöld, which is being shown by Mads Bruger, a Danish journalist. And so you've got people who are trying to keep this issue alive, so it is interesting. It's not going to go away. That would probably be an interesting watch, you know. It's going to be a very interesting movie to watch. So it's called Cold Case Hammershield. Uh, no idea when it's going to be released in Australia.
0: All right, well, we're going to watch this space, Keith. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.